funny because I had a dream a month before. I was saying to Anthony, stop the website. We're getting too much money. Every second we had phone calls and people crying for putting in money. It was such an awkward thing. <laughs> and people sending us emails. It was, I remember even have threats from a guy from Hong Kong. He's like, you know the fuck I am. You said that we would be able to put five more million, ten more million. <laughs> And we honestly, we would have got up, we easily could have gone to 100 million, easily. Hello and welcome to Unforkable, the podcast that brings you juicy stories straight from the blockchain. My name is Jonas and today on the show, how to raise 53 million during the ICO craze. The story, of course, is told by the guest you've just heard during the intro. Hey guys, my name is Cyrus Fazil. I'm the proud founder and CEO of Swissboard. Super pumped to be on this show. Together we dive deep into the origin story of his startup, Swissborg. This episode is packed with useful information, stories and funny bits and pieces for everyone who is interested in crypto. Cyrus shares his best kept secrets as we relive the ups and downs before, during and after the ICO. But before we start, let's set the scene. First of all, a quick reminder on the terminology. Hey Siri. What's an ICO? ICO is an action adventure game developed. No, no, I, I stop. Studio stop. Into Si hey Siri. What's an initial coin offering? An initial coin offering or initial currency offering is a type of funding using cryptocurrencies. Much better. Want to hear more? Yes. It is often a form of crowdfunding. However, a private ICOs which does not seek public investment is also possible. In an ICO, a quantity of cryptocurrency is sold in the form of tokens to speculators or investors in exchange for legal tender or other cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin or Ethereum. Nowadays, ICO lost a lot of their initial appeal, but back in 2017 and 2018, there was a real ICO boom going on. According to a study by PwC, in those two years alone, roughly 1,700 token offerings raised over 26 billion USD combined. So what was driving this ICO madness? Two things. One, speculation. The crypto markets in 2017 went absolutely nuts and basically every shitcoin under the sun exploded in value and made some early hodlers insanely rich overnight. This hype fueled the frenzy and people flooded into ICOs in the hopes to get a piece of the pie. 2. Ethereum Ethereum made it possible for entrepreneurs, startups and yes, unfortunately also some scammer to launch their tokens on the Ethereum platform as so-called ERC20 tokens. The combination of speculation and the technology made 2017-2018 the perfect time for token offerings. Now as you have set the scene, let's start the show. Thank you so much to be on the show, Cyrus. I'm pumped to have you on. Same likewise, super excited. You actually grew up in New York and your parents migrated or had to flee Iran in 1979. That's Can you right. give us some, some backstory? Yeah, so essentially um, my parents are Iranian and Swiss. They lost everything since the Iranian revolution. They were diplomats, well-known diplomats. And they migrated to the States because that was the thing to do back then and i was born in new york uh lived there then i was in the early days of san francisco so early 90s 
And for a reason, my mom was always in love with France. So we moved from the States to France. And that was a big move because I was born in the future in some way, right? In New York, capital of capital, then San Francisco, the early days of the tech world. Then I moved to France, which was like uh, the middle, you know, like middle age thing, you know, like 18th century like type of uh, going back in the past. So it was very weird for me and to learn the French culture. And then I always always wanted to, yeah, go back into the future, essentially. You've got to come back with me. Where? Back to the future. As a young breakdancer in France, it was tough for Cyrus to find the music he used to dance to back in New York. Lucky for him, it was about that time when a new permissionless technology was born on the internet. Back then, there was no YouTube. You know? Talking about late 90s, early 2000s. And there was no way to get access to the great music. You know, I could call up my cousins in New York and say, send me a mixtape, but that will take like two months, right? So when we got introduced to my brother Alex to uh, Napster, we started be saying like, oh, well, if you know someone on the other side of the world, he could actually upload some of his, of his music and you could download it. It was permissionless. It was very different. First, you had to ask permission for each time you were uh, be able to download a library of someone. But then when it got permissionless, similar, similar to what's happening with private blockchains and, and public blockchains, is that this would really enable you just to trust the ecosystem itself and you would upload your content and you would download the content. You don't even know who you're downloading from, but you trust the source. And um, that was when I was like, okay, this is groundbreaking. This really turned my brain around and I was like, okay, this is definitely the future. And that was maybe the first time when I really tasted that beautiful, yeah, the sense of how a community powered by great technology could take over anything. I want to come back on Napster quickly. I think it's interesting because you said it's a first touch with decentralization, but now what we see years later, who won was the centralized counterparts to Napster, like Spotify, all those centralized guys won. Do you see something like that happening again in, in, in crypto, if that's even possible? Well, that's already the case. I mean, what does DeFi do? Nothing today, right? There's MakerDAO has great projects, and then there's a lot of different ones, but the big money is, is, is done by Binance. So centralized technology is winning and has been winning, and Spotify, you're very right. It's, it's you know, the guy just did a Napster and, and put some VC money in it and, and signed music deals. You know, not, not, not something amazing, right? YouTube already did this, like, what? 10 years before, but they didn't monetize in the same way. Some centralized technology in general has a better user experience because there's more money involved. And more importantly, it's not only driven by engineers. Spotify did not win because they had better tech. And the tech behind Spotify, it fucking sucks. But the other side is that usually these centralized tech guys, they have great product owners, great designers, and great UX. And all of the others want from decentralized movements. I mean, new torrents, it's not as easy as going on Netflix and clicking on play, right? Clicking on play and downloading movies on those torrent sites is actually also the way Cyrus was introduced to Bitcoin. The first time is through... Um, when I was downloading movies, um, you know, 
on different website. I was always looking, there was an address and I didn't really get what that address was for. And actually it was a friend of mine. He said, yeah, this is Bitcoin. You don't have Bitcoin. So I'm like, nah, I don't have Bitcoins. And I said, what is it? It's, it's internet money. I'm like, oh, would this be another internet money? These things never work. So didn't really look into it. Um, then much later uh, in 2015 or 2016, uh, I wanted to give a birthday present to my dad once and he's based in Iran. And my cousin told him that essentially his uh, alcohol dealer, because you can't buy alcohol in Iran, uh, his alcohol dealer was accepting Bitcoins for whiskey. And I said, okay, I'll buy some Bitcoin, send it to this guy. And hopefully this guy will give a bottle of whiskey to my dad, which never happened by the end. But uh, he's still the guy, still received the Bitcoins. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, well, uh, that's, what, you know, that's what happened. The first experience of sending Bitcoin over the internet did not exactly go as planned. Maybe this was the reason Cyrus started his career in a more traditional and very Swiss kind of industry, banking. I was from this very wealthy family, but I was born when there was no more wealth. Uh, at least no more money. There was the wealth and the prestige and the education, intellectual part of it. But there was no fancy, fancy type of living, which is great. It really taught me how to not enjoy money, but to enjoy life. My aunt always says the same joke. Unfortunately, she died recently. And she said, you remember when you were a kid? I said, what did you want to do? And I would answer with back. I would say, well, I want to be a plumber and electrician. And they would be like, but why do you want to be a plumber and electrician? I'm like, well, I'm pretty good at it. And she's like, why are you good at it? Well, my mom couldn't essentially afford a plumber and electrician. So I was like 12 years old and I was doing all the plumber. Uh, so I was doing it all the time. And then she was like, yeah, but you're really good at math and you like money. You like counting money and statistics and all of that. I'm like, yeah. She's like, all our cousins, all of them are quite arty and all of that. Don't you want to be the banker in the family? I'm like, nah, not really. And then she insisted a lot. <laughs> 20, 15 years later, um, I decided to get into banking uh, because I thought it was going to be cool. I was going to make a, a lot of money. And by the age of 30, I'll be like a philanthropist or whatever. And starting wealth management here in Switzerland, it's the best place in the world for wealth management. And uh, I learned a lot, but it was still, it was not what I really wanted to do. It was not, I don't know. I was, you know, you know, I used to break dance, do a lot of fun things. It was not really connected to, to myself. I thought it was, it was great, but I was always servicing the rich people. And again, I was like, well, you know, we could offer this to whoever we want. The 99% of the planet, not just that 0.1% I was servicing before. We really created SwissBorg in order to, to bring Swiss wealth management to everyone by making it fair, by making it uh, meaningful and, and making it fun as well. And so that's something that we, we're really trying to do at SwissBorg. Cyrus also has a partner in crime. His longtime friend Anthony is CTO and co-founder of SwissBorg. They met during their student years at a party in a fancy club in the south of France. At that time, Cyrus could barely afford to cover the entrance fee, let alone the steep prices for drinks. Here's how they met. One night I went to this very famous high-end type of club. So when I would go there as a student, it, it was impossible to get in. I usually it was impossible. I never got in. But that day I got in, so I was super happy. Uh, but then inside it was like, 
way too much, like uh, at least 25 francs a glass as, as a student in France is impossible. It's just impossible. And uh, I see a big table of dudes and uh, my friend is like, oh, these are guys from my university. I'm like, what the fuck? How do they get all that money? And my best friend is from engineering school. I'm like, engineers don't have fucking money. They just study hard. And uh, I didn't really like the guy. So that was Anthony, the co-founder. is a really tall guy. And I was like, who the fuck is that dude? And then he tended to be actually a nice guy. He's even like offered a glass and all that to share. I was like, well, this guy's quite cool. Three months later, I meet him again. I'm like, so how, well, how can you spend so much money? What's your game? And he happened to be a very famous poker player. So he made already like, you know, 300000 or $200,000 out of playing poker. Uh, then he was automating his different strategies. So he was not into finance, but he was already into like this algorithm trading. And then we met many, many times and spent so much time together. And then eventually um, convinced him to come and do this at Swissborg. And uh, he's very happy today that we made this together. Yeah. How, how did the idea form? Do you, do you remember like when you came up with the idea of, uh, of Swiss pork and what it represented at the time? Because I assume also it, it has changed since then a little bit. Yeah. So the first version of Swiss pork was actually a B2B2C model. So it was how with algorithms uh, we could create uh, customized investment mandates. Basically, the first iteration of Swiss pork had nothing to do with crypto. It was a portfolio management software that they wanted to sell to institutional investors such as banks, pension funds, etc. It was Anthony who pushed to do something with blockchain instead, and the timing was right. When Anthony came, he was insisting on, on blockchain, and that was early, like January 2017. Then I, we, we got to understand you know, the ICO craze. I was like, okay, this thing is crazy. You know, in early March, he said, Let's go for an ICO because this now it's better. We will actually be able to do what we dreamt to do about in 2015 to do. We can now do it thanks to blockchain because we don't need to work with uh, and all these different institutions anymore. We could actually do it by ourselves and uh, and and offer it to the to the majority in the world. And that is really when Anthony's like said, okay, fuck it. Now I'll, I'll work 100%, we'll be devoted and uh, just start living together and working day and night out of the apartment for, for a long time. Yeah. I actually want to really do dive into that SEO story because okay. it's so crazy because as we said already, like just setting the stage, in March you decide to do something with crypto, then fast forward a couple of months, I don't know exactly the dates, but you have, you raised 53 million Swiss francs yep. in, in crypto. So what happened in between? How do you get your word out? How do you convince people to invest and, and what do they get in return? What, what, what was the token? Sure. That's many questions in one, but let's try to, to take this story a little bit apart. Cause I think a lot of people want to know that, uh, it, there's a learning there. Yeah, there's definitely a fun learning. Um, so. March, we want to do an ICO, okay? Uh, first thing, revamp the website, start recruiting a few people. Where did you find these people? Sorry for interrupting. Where did you find, where do you find talent like that? So I organize these hackathons, you know, like FinTech weekends. And um, it's great because you really see who's talented or not. You see the people are good at pitching, people are good at marketing, people are good at dev, you know, the front end guys. 
you, you really see in a very short time period that there is, there's some talent, you may have worked with them. And on top of it is like, these guys are not probably not as happy in their jobs or they maybe don't even have jobs. So we recruit like few people like that. We didn't have cash. Okay. So we didn't even have a Swiss company. So we had like an English company. Uh, but if not that, we had, we had Zlich, nothing. We had a flat, a nice apartment in Lausanne, which had two bedrooms and we had a dining room, which was office and the living room, which was the office. Anthony and Cyrus needed to raise some money quickly. They started meeting up with people from the crypto space to pitch their idea and selling tokens in a so-called pre-ICO to early believers of the project. We got to have a lot of meetings already in May. And if I'm not mistaken, in June, we received like 1,000 Ether already. <laughs> that was crazy. It was at $170, $150. But that's already, uh, you know, that's already a lot of money. <laughs> of, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the way we were like, okay, fuck, man. This is great. Uh, you know, with uh, that money, now you could actually set up a company first. While Cyrus and his team were preparing for their ICO, the crypto boom was in full effect and it became clear that that gold rush mentality didn't necessarily attract only the best kind of people. We saw so many weird projects <laughs> during those, pro like the Jesus coin thing or BitConnect. And, and I met people from BitConnect as well. And, and they, they initially said it was a Ponzi scheme. I never invested into, into BitConnect, but I met a lot of people like, yeah, it's a Ponzi scheme. It's great. I'm like, yeah, that's weird, man. That's like, you know, you know that's, that's, I don't even know if you invest in a, in the Ponzi scheme, if you, if you're not, you know, if you're not accomplice and you cannot even go into prison, if you're in a Ponzi scheme, I don't know. But anyways, it was a phase that everyone was in for the money and people didn't give a shit about the tech, to be honest. It was just weird. And at the same time, you know, you had ether that you bought in the beginning of the year at 10, $12. Six months later, it was 300, you know, 12 months later, it was 1300. So it was really weird. Uh, we didn't have any bank account for the, the, the company. No, no one wanted to open a bank account for us. So we had those magical credit cards back then, like Zappo credit card and a few others, which we would just put like Bitcoin in it. And we would spend everything through that. You may be wondering, what was the goal of that company, Swissborg? What were they actually trying to achieve? Here is how Cyrus described their vision in one of their very first promotional videos. What if together we create a Swiss Cyborg Advisor owned by you? What if a community trusted based Cyborg Advisor would create a tailor-made investments mandate for you? What if your Cyborg Advisor would offer highly optimized portfolio management with AI, latest payment solutions with IoT, and highly secured exchange. What if your cyber advisor would be based on a meritocratic system where every contributor of the community would be rewarded in tokens? So hop on the train and join the collation that will reshape blockchain's financial world forever. Videos like these would become a very important tool to build trust and drum up interest for their ICO. While other founders in the crypto space tended to be more secretive, Cyrus and his team were always putting their faces and personality out there. They were the one of the first videos, which was not like, hi, this is blockchain. 
blockchain technology with my ICO coin will do this and that. Now, that was like all these animation, flat design, shitty things, you know, that we saw on and on. We were on the opposite. We would say there's virtual, but then there's real people behind it. And people invest usually in people. You know, that's what we do best. You know, you buy Tesla because there's Elon Musk behind it. The very often there's a technology is very important on the product, but you invest in people. So we re really put our faces to it. That was something that, that worked really well. Yeah, no, it's interesting. But, um, if you would have to like say one, one, one thing that brought you the most attention or the most, uh, people who contributed to the ICO, because at the end of the day, there's 23,000 individuals that need to be convinced how, how do you reach them and how do you what, what makes them then at the end invest in your coin basically you know it's always on, on hard to understand magic um what we always do at swissborg is that we always you know think global and act local and we put a real face behind it that's that's the two things is that We had videos in Japanese because we had Japanese people. We had it in Korean because we had Korean people. We had it in French, we had it in English. We even had, you know, our second video, we had one of our dudes speaking in Swiss German. So I, I think so when, when you, you, you know, you feel attached to a project, you feel attached to the people behind it. And I think so we were very good at, you know, expressing the Swiss touch, expressing the international touch as well and the local touch. The vision of SwissPorg to build a Swiss cyborg advisor was ambitious. Democratizing wealth management and bringing it to the masses is not a small task and would require a lot of costly engineers, designers, marketers and enough runway to actually have a chance to survive. Anthony and Cyrus knew in order to have a chance of getting their project off the ground, they would need to raise a lot of money. Everyone was laughing. You know, everyone was laughing. I remember everyone was like, yeah, yeah, 15 million. If you do like 10, we'll see it's already good. I was like, no, no, we're going to do 15 million and we're going to manage to do it. You know, most companies are not profitable in the first five years. And our plan is that we thought that we would have a burn rate of essentially, you know, from 7 million to 12 million per year. And we needed five years runway essentially, because that's the only way to take over our market. So the goal was clear, raising 50 million. The marketing strategy was working as well. Plus, they had the boost of the ICO craze going on. Now they only needed to launch their campaigns and wait. Well, actually, it was not that easy. So I first lost 10 kilos for the ICO. And, and you could look at me right now. People may not look at me, but at least I was never anywhere in my life, just a slightly fat. So I, I, wait, I lost a lot. And it's just because of working hard, I think so. And maybe some stress to some extent. Our starting of ICO was really, really bad timing. It was uh, December 5th or 7th, 2017. And Bitcoin was like every hour, you know, going from like 5,000, 6,000, 7,000, 8,000, 9,000. It was just super awkward. You know, I remember like, you know, at, at meetups and we would pay beers for everyone. I was like, can we pay at the end? And she's like, why? Nick, can you pay like now? I'm like, no, I'd rather wait the two hours and, and you know, the, the bill would be like $2,000 less or whatever, right? <laughs> we got a roof. And uh, it was the case. It was really, it was crazy. 
So people were not investing. However, as we had a lot of commitments and we had uh, big rounds from the pre-ICO. So the first day we came out after 24 hours, we have 12 million. So we're like, wow, this is amazing. We're, you know, it's great. Or 10 million, I don't remember exactly. But we had like, it was big or 7 million, maybe two days, 12 million. But then right after the two, three days, we didn't have anything. So it was horrible. So we essentially had like great start. And then it was really the desert, you know, the cowboy desert, nothing happening. And we're like, what the fuck is happening? This can't, this is weird. And December 20th, so 10 days later, snitch, nothing like 30,000 or 50,000 a day or, you know, nothing. And then it's December 25th, I'm alone in the office, nothing. And I'm like, okay, well, we're, you know, it's going to be a hard one. And you're not, not depressed, but extremely disappointed. And uh, we refocus and change the entire website and how the process was done. And we start really doing active campaigns, more targeted this time. We, you know, we brought in a, a friend that really helped us a lot. And December 31st, we did like another, like, I don't know, 10% or 5% discount, 500,000 comes in. So I'm like, shit, man. We're like, just super happy. I'm like, wow, this is great. January 1st, 700,000. And I'm like, whoa. So the bar is going a little bit up. Now we're at maybe 13 million. January 3rd, we're like 3 million in. So we're not sleeping anywhere. I remember being in Anthony's room and, and three o'clock in the morning He's like, and you know, we, we built this ICO platform in five weeks. Obviously it sucked. I mean, people don't realize it, it sucked. I mean, the, the servers were not powerful enough. We did it, won't say the name of, name of the company, but we didn't do it with the best servers in the world. So sometimes too many people's coming out, it was crashing, but it's still very securely. It was really well done. We did it with Bitgold, the system you know, it was extremely well done. So that, that was great, but the, the infrastructure behind it was not like the best. A quick note from the cutting room. In the next sentences, Cyrus confused the months a couple of times. When he says December, he actually meant to say January. Just keep that in mind for the next 30 seconds or so. So we, we weren't able to sleep too much. And December 4th, it went like from 3 million to 6 million. And then it went from 6 million to 12 million on December 5th. Then December 6th, it went for like almost like, you know, whatever. And then, and then, you know, it was, you know, it's funny because I had a dream a month before I was saying to Anthony, stop the website. We're getting too much money. And December 27th, uh, no, sorry, January 7th, we're at uh, 53 million and ICO was 50 million. But we knew that people would fail the KYC. So we would have to reimburse some people and all that. So we said, it's fine if you get more than than than, than a little bit more of like Delta of, of, you know, 8% would be fine. So we went 53. And on December 7th, every second we had phone calls and people crying for putting in money. It was such an awkward thing. <laughs> and people sending us emails. It, I felt really sad. I, I got a I got in a verbal fight with a guy. And he's like, dude, seriously, you have to put in the five million. I told you we would invest five million. And I'm like, dude, the fuck, man? 
you had a fucking one month and now you're coming on, you know, and you're like, yeah, but it's written until January 10th. I'm like, yeah, but no, we reached our heart gap. We're 8% Delta, it's done. And then we had even legal guys that in Switzerland and any place in the world, they were like, no, you said that we would be able to put five more million, 10 more million. <laughs> and we honestly, we would have got up, we easily could have gone to 100 million, easily. I mean, easily. Wow, crazy. And it was super awkward. I remember even have threats from a guy. I forgot this guy where he was from, from Hong Kong. He's like, you know the fuck I am? I, I don't know you, no. I mean, we <laughs> but he's like, no, we're one of the biggest guys and this and that. If you don't accept our money, you will never be listed on any exchange. You know, I'm big here. And I'm like, well, dude, I mean, what do you want me to do? I'm like, they're like, sell your tokens. I'm like, no, they're pledged for four years. I can't do that. And, oh, wow, wow. Uh, yeah, it was super awkward. The way that I think it's the only time in my life where you're going to refuse money again. Right after the ICO ended in January 2018, the crypto bubble burst. Prices started to fall rapidly. And the Swissport's ICO funds were all tied up in different cryptocurrencies. The 53 million worth of Bitcoin, Ethereum and other crypto started to lose value quickly. The sad story that goes with it is that December 7th, we're at 840 billion uh, market cap, total market cap in, in crypto. Two weeks later, we're at, you know, 500. So that 53 million today represents only $16 million. Um, that's the sad story of what happened. And we were very, very smart at hedging our portfolios, at shorting Bitcoin, but we weren't able to do much on Ether. We weren't being able to do much on Bitcoin Cash, on Ripple, because we accepted LTC. We accepted a lot of cryptos. We should have probably put all of that in USDT. <clears throat> but um, yeah, it's always hard to time the market. You never know what things could have gone the other way around as well. It was super awkward. And uh, yeah, within, you know, a year, you know, just a year before I was by myself, uh, and, and 12 months later, we had a team of, you know, 15 people and 53 million in the account in our, in, in crypto, which was great. <laughs> it's the best feeling that one can have. I, I was even crying. I remember, um, it was amazing. But what was the outcome of all the believers and investors of Swissborg? In return for their contribution to the ICO, they have received the Swissborg token called CHSB. Just like all of the cryptos, the token has since lost a lot of value from its all-time high. Unfortunately, uh, it lost a very big amount. To 90, we lost until 95%, I think, so towards the dollar. And today we're down like 70% towards the dollar. But we overperformed Ether, which was our biggest portion. Overperformed Ripple by far away. We've overperformed LTC and Bitcoin Cash. So essentially 70% of people who invest in our ICO actually made a, a, great, a great amount of return. Even if people don't have that perspective, they're like, no, I, I bought it. You know, I, I put in $1,300 in your ICO and today I only have, you know, whatever, $400. I'm like, no, you put an Ether in it. So that's, and today you have 1.7 ether probably. So you did a great investment, but people don't see it like that, obviously, because, you know, they, they see it at the dollar nominal because that's their, their own portfolio. But 
but that that obviously it's always the the hard things about these ICOs is that you know you get drained down by all the suckers and you know we're doing our best during the ICO boom thousands of projects have been raising billions of dollars unfortunately the majority of those ventures failed and never delivered the product in the first place so out of 2017 and 2018, there's been 10,000 ICOs projects. So that doesn't mean they all did ICOs. That means that they at least wanted to had a white paper, a website, and potentially a wallet. And only 300 actually listed their tokens out of that. And only 60 actually have projects uh, today. So um, yeah. Every, and, and then there's another thing what people have to understand is that 82% of ICOs haven't raised more than $100,000. $100,000 is pretty much, you know, a few months of burn rate. So that doesn't bring you anywhere. So it, it was an ICO craze and it was crazy, but it was still very difficult to raise money. Everyone was like, yeah, you would have done an ICO in 2017 and boom, nah, that's not true. That being said, I think it's fair to say that the circumstances were very special during the ICO boom. For the first time, basically anybody with an internet connection could invest slash speculate in a brand new asset class with a click of a button, without oversight or restrictions. This attracted a lot of inexperienced retail investors from all over the globe. And Asia in particular had all the right ingredients of becoming a major player in the crypto investing space. There were millions of tech enthusiasts who were more than eager to take their chances on the latest ICO. When you have that exponential snowball effect it's, it gets massive especially in asia we didn't have chinese people we had mainly japanese and koreans but when you have that snowball effect in asia people just dive in it then it happens to be it's not the best investors that we did not say there's a cycle of of asian of asian investing which is buy ico sell it buy another ICO, sell it and repeat, which, you know, usually doesn't work like that. You know, it, 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 besides if you're in a bubble, if we have done our ICO in June 2017, yeah, our token will have done like 3x, 4x, whatever. While many projects didn't make it through the crypto winter, Swissborg is alive and kicking. Earlier this year, Cyrus and his team launched a wealth app where you can buy and sell cryptocurrencies directly on your phone. Go and check it out on their website. But that's only the first step for the Swisspark team and their vision for the future. We want to create a digital ID that goes with essentially your account going forward. And that's what we're really building, the Swissborg nation. We want to grow from this tribe to this nation as that's one of the features that we'll be offering very soon, actually. Thank you very much, uh, Cyrus, for coming on, for all the insights you provided. It was very helpful, very interesting. Yeah, um, I'm rooting for you guys. Uh, every project that does something exciting that is uh, not only raising a lot of money, but also keeps um, then delivering. So again, thank you so much, Jonas. You know, love the podcast and Forkable and really happy that I'm one of the early guys participating here. And I'm sure this is going to grow and, and educate and have fun at the same time because those two components will enable us to get the mass adoption. So thank you for your hard work and I'm looking forward to listen to the next one. And if you're also looking forward to listen to the next one, please go to unforkable.cc 
and put your email address in this little box. I'm always very happy to see people signing up for the newsletter, which by the way, I'm not even sending out yet. I'm just collecting the addresses, but it gives me a feeling that people are listening, that people are there and I'm always happy to see if one is coming in. So please go to unforkable.cc and sign up for the newsletter. Thank you so much and until next time.